This is DVM Loading, a podcast about the life of professional students from a veterinary perspective. With your hosts, Carling Hemstreet and Caitlin Marr, we go through the daily life of being in veterinary school with a fun twist. Let's get loading! Hello, listeners, to another episode of DVM Loading. Um, this is my first mobile um, episode, so hang in with me as I... Um, work on these like little extra microphones here. Um, but this is your host, Carling, um, back with y'all again. I hope you enjoyed Caitlin's solo episode last week with Dr. Swarb. Um, I'm here today with one of our faculty members, uh, Dr. Stephanie Myers. Uh, she is our pathologist, one of our pathology professors. Um, and I thought she brought a really interesting kind of route into the pathology world. So I'm just going to go ahead and let her introduce herself and talk a little bit about her life. Well, thanks for having me on, Carlene. It's an absolute honor to be a part of this uh, this podcast that y'all got going. Um, and hello to everyone. My name is Dr. Stephanie Myers. I'm a board certified anatomic pathologist. So I'm basically like the medical examiner, but for animals specifically. And my job basically is not only to figure out what happens when things don't go right, when things unfortunately don't make it, but also to teach these lovely students how to not only recognize diseases, but also how to diagnose some so that they can be the best practitioners that we want them to be. (laughs) Well, and, um, you know, me and Dr. Myers have like we've, I feel like we've become friends over like the year. Oh, absolutely! Um, I like just stop by in your office and I hug the hoot and I eat your candy and it's a very good time. Um, when it's so it's just a good time. But uh, so you did your undergrad at Notre Dame, correct? Yep, fighting Irish, fighting Irish, and then you got your DVM at Texas A&M University, mm-hmm. uh, and then you went to Johns Hopkins for your residency. Is that correct? Correct. So I did a a combined residency and PhD at Johns Hopkins, um, which I know is a medical school. It's not a veterinary school, but they actually have a really unique program for veterinarians where you can become um, or do residency in either anatomic pathology or lab animal medicine. They are they're a massive, massive research institution. So they do have a lot of animals that are under their care. And because of that, they have the ability to have these residency options available. And while you're doing that, since you happen to be at Johns Hopkins, you could totally go for a PhD. And that's kind of what I decided to do. <laughs> Still debating if it was a good decision or not. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you graduated with or you defended your PhD, your thesis last last year, year in twenty twenty two. In twenty twenty two, yeah. So you know, you're fresh out. Maybe give it a little bit more time. Give it like five more years. Well, so for our fun topic today, um, I thought it would be fun, kind of fun to talk about um, some of Dr. Meyer's dogs that she has here because I know we've mentioned it on a, a previous episode where. At Texas Tech, we have um, some dogs that we have partnered with the um, Amarillo Animal Shelter, where we get a group of dogs that we actually are able to um, use for our clinical skills. Um, So we do physical exams on them. We do um, various, you know, um, clinical skills with those dogs. And at the end of each semester, we um, try to get them all adopted. And so far, the last two semesters, we've been successful with that which has been so wonderful. 
Um, and since Dr. Myers, her two dogs are actually from those colonies. So um, one is near and dear to her own veterinary career. <laughs> and then the other is actually from Tech. So she's got um, some two very special ladies. I do. So I have two dogs, uh, Rain and Coco. Rain, um, I adopted from Texas A&M. After my first year of vet school there, she was part of the teaching colony that they maintain there. She's a hound. And um, Coco is my more recent addition. She is a pit bull mix Pity mix. Lab land mix. hippo. I don't know. Land, land hippo is land pretty hippo accurate. Land hippo is what she looks like. Yeah, she's pretty accurate for her. And I did adopt her after the fall semester here at um, at Tech. And it's, it's really interesting that both of my dogs basically came from the teaching colonies. But I... I honestly say a lot of times that these are the dogs that are so instrumental for our students. And I oftentimes not only like thank, but also acknowledge my dog, especially in time that I have to get a presentation because like she taught me to be a veterinarian, truly. Um, Rain, when I adopted her from A&M, she actually was my group's, uh, we call them physiology dogs, but we basically maintain a colony for the exact same purpose that tech does. And it's to basically train the students in, how to be a doctor, how to do a physical exam, where do you put your stethoscope, how do you feel for the veins that you eventually have to draw blood from. All the things that we need to be very successful in our fields, my dog taught me. And I give her a lot of credit for getting me through vet school. She's been my, I guess call emotional support, <laughs> my emotional support dog. She got me through vet school, residency, um, what now two, three moves now. And she, she, she's basically my baby girl. She's yeah. my everything. I've I've had her for whew, nine years now. She just turned fourteen. Oh baby. Well, and like you can tell that these dogs that you know we've we've worked on and worked with, uh, you can tell that they're so patient <laughs> with anything that yes. you do. Like I go home and I practice on Dan, um, who's my own black lab. Not uh, you know anything to do with the school or anything, but he uh, quickly gets tired of me messing with him and especially because he hates his feet being touched hates it and so um he is not not about uh you know doing anything like with like a, a examination of the feet but he is very good for um standing and actually letting me listen to him and all of that but there you go he's a good boy but ultrasound no i think coco would be no. way better to ultrasound because <laughs> she just likes to lie on her back and get belly rubs Pretty much, yes. That that's what she does, and all we do at home is snuggle. Basically, she curls up, curls up next to me on the couch as I'm like watching TV or working on something on my computer. She she's she is my snuggle buddy, basically. She's a good snuggler. She's a very good snuggler. Yeah. Yes, she's a good girl. and uh, no. And to your point, actually, it's it's really funny. Anytime I go to um, a vet clinic, um, and if the veterinarian happened to graduate from A and M, um, I'll tell them, oh yeah, like, this is one of the phys docs from way back when, and it's just like. Their, their eyes light up and like they have this fake smile of like, oh my gosh, the fizz dogs. <laughs> um, and they really are, like they truly are really, really good. Mm -hmm. they, they don't mind being handled at all. So they do tend to make one of the best veterinary patients because they're, they're just so used to being, you know, poked, prodded, touched, everything yeah. uh, from all the students. And it's been, it's been a good ride so far. Um, yeah, my two girls from two different schools. Yeah. Oh, it's so fun. Well, um, I know that we talked a little bit about like where you went, but um, like, did you always know you wanted to be a veterinarian? Um, 
like? Did you ever think that you would be a research pathologist? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Very different path than I wanted to be a veterinarian coming to vet school. So, and, and yeah, I know you've heard some of this story before. I've told it to some people. But um, I've always wanted to be a veterinarian since I was a kid. Um, and my, my mom has told me stories and apparently kept... Um, like little prescriptions. I used to write for my stuffed animals. So um, my mom is a, a nurse practitioner. So the medical field, if you will, has always kind of been in my family. And my dad was a nurse engineer. So science, medicine, it's in my blood. It's in my DNA. It's encoded in me. I'm going to go into something science-y related. But uh, yeah, I used to really write prescriptions. My mom taught me how to write prescriptions when I was like eight or nine. It's adorable. Um, so I would write like, you know, Tylenol Q24, like two tablets, PO or something like for that. For your teddy bear? Or? For, for my stuffed teddy bear, yes. Um, my aunt has this teddy bear named Cuddles and apparently she, so she would visit like every year, at least twice a year sometimes. Um, and I wrote her bear prescriptions for like a you know cookie diet and some mm -hmm. other things. Because teddy bears need cookie diets. Oh, absolutely yeah. they do. And it has to be like, it could be any cookie, but it has to be a cookie. Yeah. Okay. Specific. Chocolate chip is the best. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the the ultimate and best diets. But they will accept sugar cookies. It's it's a, it's a, you know acceptable alternative. Um, <laughs> um, but my aunt uh, apparently she actually kept some of those prescriptions all these years. Oh. And when I graduated vet school, she um, showed them to me. Like, yeah, like look how far you've come, basically. But yeah, I apparently wrote prescriptions and um, treated wounds. I apparently put casts and bandages on my stuffed animals growing up as a kid. So veterinary medicine is something I've always wanted to do. That's for sure. And going into vet school, I was dead set. I was going to be a surgeon. It didn't matter how big the animal was or how late at night, if it was a holiday, if that animal needed to be cut, I was going to cut it. Okay, could be an elephant, could be a giraffe, could be a dog, a cat, didn't matter. Fish, even. I was willing to work on fish yeah. if it needed surgery. Um, so I was very, very dead set on wanting to be a surgeon. And when I shadowed slash worked for my, um, my vet back home, um, back home in El Paso, I would, anytime I got to go into surgery with him, like as a tech or as an assistant, I would always be like, you know, watching him and like, okay, how does he suture? How did he... Uh, how does he know like what the anatomy is, um, things like that. And it was just so ingrained in my mind, surgeon, 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 mm -hmm. I'm going to practice, I'm going to be a surgeon. And that's really what I always wanted to do. Was it because you worked in a clinic that you thought you wanted to be a surgeon? Or was it like, you know, you watched something on Animal Planet and you're like, that's so cool. Or is it just like, that's always been what you always thought? You know, that's a good question. I don't think I really stopped to think about where that came from. Um, I mean, I've always like, you know, we always watched like the, was the animal ER or yeah, something like yeah, that yeah. Um, on like Animal The really Planet. weird cases that you yeah. have. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was like, one show on Animal Planet with like this like really famous vet. I forget who it is. Um, but yeah, like those shows, like I always loved those mm -hmm. shows. And yeah, like a lot of times they went to surgery, right? Because mm -hmm. that's just how it is. Like surgery is your chance to fix something. And um between that and I think working in a clinic definitely solidified it. Mm -hmm. It definitely solidified more and more that yes, like I definitely want to be yeah. um, a veterinarian and definitely work with animals. Yeah. I will say my mom being a nurse practitioner may have steered me away. Sure. Human medicine. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little. I feel the same way. My mom is a pharmacist 
And growing up with listening to her stories, I'm mm -hmm. like, I, I don't ever want to work with people uh, like like on people, you know, like vet yeah. I think a lot of people also have this like misconception that because you're going to vet med meets, you don't like people, um, mm -hmm. which is hilarious because I don't know any veterinarian that's been able to talk to a dog um, and actually have a conversation about how to diagnose them. So you know, you still have to talk to people yep. like their mm -hmm. owners, like they still are attached to a human. Yep. And I don't I don't get where people think that because. Yeah, like I mean, we don't just play with puppies and kittens all day. Yeah. Like we, it's real conversations with actual real mm -hmm. human beings, and that is like the crux of what we do. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know where misconception comes from either. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, I, I, I can, I feel you. Yeah, on you know, not wanting to go into human. Yeah, medicine. definitely. It's like it's a how you talk to people. I think is different because you're talking to them about themselves versus like their sure. animal. Maybe yeah. that's why it's different. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm more used to it. Well, I, either way, people are crazy and gross. I'd rather I'd rather deal with dog poop than human poop. I agree. Like, give me a smelly parvo puppy any day, any any day, over a sick child. Yeah, I'm very much okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so you went to Notre Dame. What was your um? What was your bachelor's degree in? I don't think I actually know that question. Uh, I have a bachelor's of science in uh, my majors were biology and sociology. Oh, so you were a double major. Yes. Oh. I was a little crazy. I almost majored in math, shockingly. Like, math is my jam. Calculus, love it. Derivatives, I find to be exceedingly So the only fun. reason you're not an engineer is because you knew you wanted to be a veterinarian. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my dad would have been really happy yeah. to steer me toward the engineering route. <laughs> Because um, I really genuinely enjoy math. Yeah. Um, I'm a nerd if you haven't figured that out. <laughs> to uh, all you listening, I'm a total giant nerd and proud of it. She is. She is. Um, but yeah, so I've got some fun stories, though. I do have fun stories. So I majored in biology, and Notre Dame actually has a really um, good, what they call a pre professional program track, um, assuming they still do. Um, basically it's mostly geared to get students into like med school. Mm -hmm. So those going into veterinary medicine often major in either that or biology, mm -hmm. basically. Um, were there a lot of pre-vet students like at Notre Dame? No, there were not. I would not. think there was only, I think when I was applying to vet school, there was only like four of us yeah. that were applying out of a student body of 2000. Yeah. Cause um, I was about to say, class. I know a few people that swam at Notre Dame and like none of them wanted to do yeah. <laughs> vet med. Um, most usually want to go into med school mm -hmm. um, if you're going to go into like one of the more professional programs yeah. um, it's usually medicine or law because yeah. everything does have oh school. yeah yeah absolutely they do so um but yeah very very few of us wanted to go into vet med which in a way was it was kind of nice because we kind of formed our own like group mm -hmm. where we were like supporting each other because yeah, there were so few of you it's not like yeah. you're trying to compete versus you know me at Texas A&M and undergrad like you like walk into your animal science 101 class and the professor walks out on the first day and he's like, how many of you want to go to vet school? And like 95% of the room yep. raises their hand. Um, and, you know, I feel like it almost professors become jaded with it. Um, Cause yeah. I know Caitlin's told the story where she did the same thing and he was like, well, like half of you guys have your hands up, won't make it or something like that. <laughs> and so like, I feel like sometimes now, that wasn't a super supportive professor either, but like still, like I think sometimes they can become a little jaded 
with it. Yeah. You know? And, and what was nice though, too, was, you know, because we had such a small group, like we interviewed together, mm-hmm. um, a lot of us applied to similar schools, like, yeah. like the same schools. So where did you apply um, for veterinary school? I applied to five different schools, uh, Cornell, UPenn, Purdue, Kansas State, and Texas A&M. Um, was immediately rejected by Cornell. So that ended that dream. Um, when then got rejected by UPenn after the interview, um, was waitlisted at K-State and Purdue and A&M was my actual only like pure acceptance. Yeah. Um, I did get pulled off the waitlist at Purdue actually. Mm-hmm. So I did uh, in the end get accepted to mm-hmm. Purdue. But A&M was my top choice anyway, um, because it was a school that I kind of always saw myself going to from a veterinary school mm-hmm. perspective. Um, they also have this like summer camp for high schoolers. It was like a three day immersive summer mm-hmm. camp, like day in the life of a veterinarian kind of thing. And I did that summer camp when I was um, like six, 15 or 16 or something like that. And to me, that solidified like, yes, I am going to A&M. Yeah. I'm going to vet school. We're going to A&M. Um, but you know, I, obviously you, when you apply, like you got to apply to other schools, um, you know, you can, yes, you can try to put all your eggs in one basket, but that's a big risk you're taking mm-hmm. and it's worth it to see what other schools have to offer. Yeah. Well, and I know, you know, me and Caitlin have talked about, so like tech was my only pure, like, uh, acceptance. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I know our listeners have heard this a bajillion times, but, um, it's like they, um, so like tech accepted me on the second time. Uh, A&M rejected me all three times. Uh, first two were outright. The last one was after the interview. And then I was mm-hmm. outright rejected by all the other schools that were out of state that I applied to. But, um, you know, I mean, they all have different reasonings for doing that because they have different, um, like the programs are different, what they're looking for and their students are different. Yeah. And so it's really, you know, it's a hindsight 2020 thing where it's like, now I can look back and be like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have done as well like in those. But like, I feel like because it is so competitive to get in veterinary schools, people mm-hmm. are so like, t- like fighting tooth and nail <laughs> to get in. And yes. they're just, they're just going to do it like by like mass pop. Like they try to just apply to everything. And it's, it's like have a little bit of selection with it. But well, I'll say two points on that. One, their loss, mm-hmm. our gain, because true, you are one health phenomenal student. <laughs> just saying. Um, but also, too, you do make a good point. It's really hard to get into vet school. There's mm-hmm. just so much fewer. There's so fewer vet schools mm-hmm. than there are med schools. That's just a pure fact. Um, and because of that, you know, a lot of people are applying to the same schools, which makes admissions. Uh, there's a lot of candidates to go through. Um, you have to have some process to mm-hmm. try to, you know, go through and sift through who you want to invite to interviews. And a lot of these more established programs, like they know what they're looking for or what makes a student successful for their specific program. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, for anybody, if you ever do get rejected by a vet school, I had four basically rejections in the end. Um, it doesn't mean that you're not worthy of being a veterinarian. Yeah. It just means that, you know what, you may not be at that magic moment. It's just not the right time for mm-hmm. you or even the right mm-hmm. place for you. Yeah. And you'll find your, yeah. your time and you'll find your place. Well, and you only need one school to accept you. Too. In the end, like yes. really, in the end, that's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a little bit of perspective, but it is. Yeah. So your friends that you applied with, um, did anyone go to A and M with you, or did they all go to different schools? They all ended up going to different schools. Actually, um, one ended up going to Minnesota, another UPenn, and I don't quite remember where the third ended up going. 
Um, but we all eventually end up going to different schools. Yeah. Well, we're glad that you came back down south. Happy to be back in Texas, that's for yeah. sure. Uh, I mean, like, I grew up in Texas. I'm from El Paso originally, grew up in uh, our regional community, as we call, that we call home. And that was my home for well over 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, it's nice to be back in Texas, yeah. that is for sure. Mm -hmm. Clearly I need to follow the universe, you know, signs of, all right, leave for undergrad, come back for vet school, leave for residency, come back for my job. <laughs> I should probably just take the hint and just stay. Just stay. Just stay At least three more years until I'm, I'm done. Then you can do whatever you want after that. <laughs> But you have to stay here. Is this, is this a formal contract I have signed yes, with you? Yes, I will, I will draw it up and you will sign it. Um, <laughs> I do the same thing with my professors too, by the way. Like, you cannot leave until I graduate. Yes. That, then, then do whatever Then is the rules, okay? <laughs> okay, so you get into A&M. You have to come back to Texas. Yeah. Um and you think you're going to be a surgeon. Yep. How did that work out? Well, clearly it didn't. <laughs> um, no, I'm actually, I still wanted to be a surgeon even for the first, like, almost two years of my time there. Um, I think really for me, as I was going through that first year, um, what really kind of started to draw me a little away, I think, from surgery was we had this meeting, I forget which club sponsored it, and it's something I want to do here at Tech Two, where they got, they got a bunch of the interns and residents to um, come in, sit down, and talk us through the process of what it means to be specialized and to be a, a specialist, mm -hmm. basically. Um, what does it take? Because I think a lot of people, we say we want to do something like be a a surgeon, be a neurologist, be an internist, be this kind of, this type of veterinarian. But what does that mean? And what does it mean to get to that point, mm -hmm. to get to the point where you have those same kind of skill set as the people that you look up to and that you admire, uh, people who are your mentors, effectively. And surgery in particular is an incredibly, incredibly competitive field, especially in small animal. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that struck me was if you're going to go in to become a specialist, you kind of have to pick small or large. Um, other than pathology and lab animal, there's really not very other many specialties where it's combined effectively yeah. um, in the sense that um, you can go from a mouse it, to a cow in one day. Yes. And, and not like, like, like dentistry, sure, you can be, you know, small or large. Uh, dermatology can be like, you know, you can obviously see both types of patients, but for surgery, you're either, it's like small or large animal, mm -hmm. take your pick. Mm -hmm. um, so, but the process of becoming a surgeon, it's, it's an incredibly, incredibly competitive specialty. You're looking at, um, for sure, at minimum, a rotating internship out of when you're done your, your vet school. So you'll go either to a referral practice or a vet school and do a one year rotating internship and um, basically you just see a buku load of cases mm -hmm. and the idea is just to gain experience more than anything but from there you would apply to residencies and hopefully get in for surgery it oftentimes takes multiple internships and maybe even a um, a surgery specialty internship before you might land a surgery residency so you're looking at not just an additional year before you even hit the residency, you can be an additional two or even three years mm -hmm. 
um, before so it's you a commitment. It is a massive yeah. commitment. These are internships are not easy or for the faint hearted. These are you're working like 80 hours a week. You're being paid nothing like next to nothing. Um, we're talking like twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars for the entire year. So you're not being paid a lot of money at all. And you're working your ever living butt off for an entire year, sometimes multiple years. Then you land the residency. And that is an additional three to three or four years to pay on the residency. Um, initial three or four years where, yes, that's that's where you get like to the meat of you becoming trained in the, as a specialist. You're doing a whole bunch of surgeries, you're doing ortho procedures, soft tissue procedures, reconstructive procedures. Um, you might even do a little dabbling in like um, oncology surgery. Mm-hmm. So the point is like you're, that's the main bulk of where your experience is coming from is during your residency. And you're also being trained didactically so that you can prep for your board exam. But that's an additional three to four years. So you're looking at minimum four to eight years post DVM before you're going to be considered a specialist. Mm-hmm. Then you just you have to sit for your board exam and everything like that. Um, but that's that's just a that's a lot of time. And as surgeons, you're on call a lot, mm-hmm. like a lot. So holidays. Nope, you can forget it. Family life, work-life balance. What what is work-life balance? That is a term that does not exist sometimes in, in residencies. So it is a lot, a lot of work. And I'm not opposed to working hard. I really don't mind that. But it was sort of, would all of that be worth it mm-hmm. to me? Mm-hmm. And I started to kind of doubt, okay, maybe okay, maybe, maybe surgery may not entirely be for me. Okay, let's let's just keep in the back of our minds, mm-hmm. right? Let's just keep going. Um, what I found really is that I, I really liked anatomy. I liked dissection. Um, I did have to take, I had to take histology as part of the core curriculum at AM. Man, I love the scope. I love working under the microscope. To me, it just, it clicked. Mm-hmm. Everything just started clicking when I could see it on a microscopic level and then compare that to like the physiology of like the whole organ and see how everything just like ties together. And it just, the light bulb just went off mm-hmm. in my head. It's like, yes, this makes total sense. Um, so okay, so we like we like um, histology, we like physiology. Kind of liked anatomy. Um, I mean, anatomy is hard, no, no matter. Yeah, where I mean, you go. anatomy is a beast of a course. <laughs> you just you just have to get through it. Just do do the absolute best that you can, but it is a beast of a course. I had like the best and worst times of my life in the anatomy lab. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Anatomy lab is where you bond with your anatomy mm-hmm. group and like you start to really establish your core group of friends because if they're if they are there for you mm-hmm. in anatomy lab as you all are studying at yeah. 10 p.m. the night before an exam or like whatever, let me tell you, friendships get established. Yes. Like strong bonds, war bonds get established really in anatomy lab. Truly, it is it's absolutely true. <laughs> Um, I mean, I remember oh, spending many, many great nights in that lab. Yeah, I, you know, I'm glad I don't have to go back. Um, but I look back on those memories with cheers to that. Like, yeah, like, I, I'm glad I did it. I had a great time. I had some not so fun times, but I like, <laughs> I liked it. Uh, I liked the people I was with, but I would not do it again. That's not an experience I think out of us wants to repeat. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. we're good. We're good. So, um, all right, back to my story. So, all right, so kind of having some doubts about being a surgeon. 
Um, I started hanging out with some of the um, pathology residents and kind of being like, okay, like, you know, dissecting things is kind of cool. And at Texas A&M, they do necropsies, um, definitely Monday through Friday, like most working business hours. But if there happens to be cases available, yes, then it's the pathologist on duty option if they want to do those cases over the weekend. If they say yes, they actually invited members of the pathology club mm -hmm. to come in and kind of assist with the necropsies, basically. You know, kind of get your hands, hands dirty. Get a feel for, okay, what is it like to do a What is a necropsy? What does it mean to do mm -hmm. an autopsy on an animal, right? So I kind of did a couple of those weekends and I was like, you know, this is actually kind of cool. I had always loved dissection like in high school. So this to me seemed no different. And it you got to play CSI a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're yeah. trying to find a cause of death yeah. if you don't know it. Um, and it's really satisfying, I'll say as pathologists, when you find that cause of death and uh, like all like the pieces of the puzzle all comes just together. fits beautifully. Mm -hmm. It's like the end of a Criminal Minds episode where it all like comes mm -hmm. together and you're like, aha, we found the killer. Basically, yes. It just it all like just makes perfect sense. And you put this nice story that you can tell these owners and give them, you know, some level of closure, right? Um, so the point is my first two years, I'm like, all right, maybe surgery's not entirely for me. And let's let's see what else is out there. Um my route to kind of going starting down pathology. It, it was a very serendipitous route in a lot of ways. And for me, it's like the cards just happened to fall into place. Um, I did a summer of research after my first year um, in a very similar program to what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. It was we were doing the veterinary scholars research program. We had something very, very similar at A&M. Mm -hmm. And I always liked research. I did some research in college, um, like undergrad research and stuff. So like, you know what, let's just I need something to do. It was paid. Mm -hmm. I did it. Um, got to do some really cool work with Dr. Sarah Lahan. She's a microbiologist and she does a lot of work with salmonella. Uh, really, really important um, bacterial disease that I will teach you guys all about this upcoming semester. <laughs> no, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a really cool project. I got to work with glow and dark bacteria. Like, I'm sorry. It was just really, I literally would spend not hours, but like definitely whole chunks of time in the dark room, just swirling the flasks so that way I could see it glow because it was so cool. <laughs> anyway, again, I'm a nerd. So I know I wish I had a picture of the A&M plate that you made. The um, I, I still have a picture yeah. of it. I'll have to go dig it up, but I do have that picture. Okay, uh, we can post that on our Instagram. Oh, I have, absolutely. I will okay. find it. And yeah, send it to you, you send it over to me. Um, if anyone ever works with Vibrio Harvey at um, Tech, we'll totally streak like a Tech logo plate. Yeah. That would be that would be cool. <laughs> anyway, we're getting off topic here. <laughs> so, um, point is, I did a summer of research. Um, had a lot of fun with this. Like, I, like research has always kind of been, I guess, a, a fail safe, if mm -hmm. you will, kind of like a backup go to. And that summer, the conference was at Michigan State University. Um, we, at the end of the summer, we get to present our research at this huge, massive, um, conference. And at that particular conference, Johns Hopkins had a booth. Unbeknownst to me, they offer a couple of summer programs, uh, for DVM students to basically get a feel for, you know, what it's like to, to do what they do. Um, one of those programs was a pathology fellowship. Now this fellowship, it's really, really, really cool. And once we get a residency going here, it's like, I totally want to 
to start something similar. Um, basically, for 12 weeks, you are the pathology resident. You are taking the cases, you are cutting them, you're taking on the samples, you're making the slides, you're reading the slides, you are writing the report, like you're doing everything from start to finish. Um, even though you're just a student, like you're not a resident yet, you're not a DVM, you, you have a lot of good mentorship there, but it was so incredibly hands-on and immersive. And honestly, you cannot beat programs like that because mm -hmm. you just get to do so much and see so much. Yeah. And you just, you learn so much in those 12 weeks. Oh, and you also get to do a small research project at the same time. But naturally, right? Of There's course. always research projects attached. It's just happening. Like There's that. always research yeah. going down on some level. Um, so this uh, fellowship is for second year students. Um, students have completed their first two years. And on a whim, I was like, you know, this is kind of cool. Like, let's just, let's see what it's about, mm. right? So I applied and said, okay, let's go for it. Magically landed a spot. Don't ask me how, but I did. And I will say that summer was kind of like the end all be all mm -hmm. for me. That solidified for me that, you know what? Pathology is wicked cool. You get to see so many cool things and you never know what's coming in. You never know what you're going to get. But you could have two animals with the exact same disease and pathologically they look so different. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so incredibly, it's just cool. Like it's, it's challenging. What I love about it is to me, it challenges my brain. A lot of times you're missing puzzle pieces because you just may not have the opportunity to have that mm -hmm. information. Um, we just don't have the resources available or we're just not as advanced as they are in the human realm. Mm -hmm. um, so there's just a lot. Sometimes you're missing pieces, but you got to work to still fill it in, fill in the puzzle, make the story work. Um, or sometimes you don't. I mean, not every case winds up with a cause of death. Sometimes mm -hmm. we truly don't know. And sometimes there's just no obvious issue. Like problem to the naked eye mm -hmm. and it's not because we're we're missing anything it's because it's just not visible to us um maybe it's metabolic and we yeah. can't detect it right so there's sometimes not every case is some very uh, satisfactory like that but the point is it's the challenge mm -hmm. that i really enjoyed so long story short from there i was like you know what pathology we like this we really like this then i got to third year surgery and found out surgery gave me anxiety <laughs> especially being in open abdomens like yeah. doing spays and stuff and i decided surgery is definitely probably not my route like, before you were okay with being on the ship but now that you were at like the helm of the ship you were like maybe it's not mm -mm. for me yeah no yeah no. i didn't like the anxiety that came with mm -hmm. it so um we said no to that path stepped away and went down a different path. You know, one door closes, another one always yeah, opens, right? Exactly. So I, I closed that door to my life and opened the door to pathology. Um, applied to residencies. Um, Hopkins was the one that we ended up going with. They accepted me. They were one of my top choices. Mm -hmm. And sort of the rest is history after that. Cool. And so you went on and did your residency and then you know, you could have gone either, you know, into being a school pathologist, like where you could teach and all that, or you could have gone to a lab and been a pathologist there, right? Because there's like industry pathologists and like academia pathologists, yeah. right? So why did you go academia versus industry? Yeah, it's actually interesting because I didn't think that academia would be my first job fresh out of residency. Like truly, I didn't. Um, my training mostly centered around experimental pathology uh -huh. because Hopkins is such a big research like, institution. Yeah. So research pathology basically was my forte. 
a lot of my cases were the lab animal species that Hopkins had housed for whatever investigators were doing. And so a lot of my cases came from them. And then we had a nice mix from the zoo and the aquarium mm -hmm. in the city as well. So we got a lot of exotic experience, yeah. but very little pure diagnostic, like a diagnostic lab. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really get a whole ton of that experience. And I was really thinking at some point I would go back and just do like research pathology, kind of provide the support that researchers would need if mm -hmm. they're working with animals, for example. Now, and I really thought it would be either industry or what we call tox pathology. So kind of looking more into like drug development mm -hmm. kind of areas. That's honestly where I thought my route would end up. Um, one thing I really missed, though, not being at a vet school and doing a residency at a vet school are the students. Mm -hmm. I actually really found that the moments I enjoyed the most at Hopkins were when we had our summer students, um, our summer fellows, um, externs, um, people who I could basically teach. Mm -hmm. And those were the moments I enjoyed the most out of anything. Yeah. Well, and I found, I think most, emphasis on most, not all, um, veterinarians, even if like they're just in GP, like they mm -hmm. really enjoy education. Um, oh, yeah. like, cause you have to educate clients just as much as you would educate, say like a technician or a, like another veterinarian or, mm -hmm. you know, an extern or whoever, like education is something that kind of plays a role. Um, which I feel like there's more education in vet med than there is in human med. Um, just from, you know, me being the patient as a human. <laughs> You're I not wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I feel like people have more questions because it's their sure. dog versus themselves sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so like, there's yeah. a lot of education that goes in into that. And so um, I'm not surprised that you liked the mentorship part. It was something I really missed. And uh, like, I truly enjoyed the summers, especially because it's like the summer students are here and like, hey, like there's this cool case coming in, like, let's go do it together. And teaching them like all like my tips and tricks. And it, it, it was the most fun times I had during my residency. So I, I really enjoy teaching more than I ever thought I would. If you'd asked me 10 years ago if I'd be teaching, I'd say, hell no, my students would hate me. Um, but I actually thought I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I did. Mm -hmm. So I started TAing for a couple of the, grads, the graduate courses um, that were part of my program, my PhD program. And um, Hopkins has a teaching academy. So I started doing some aspects of like their certificate program, their summer teaching institute, things like that. Learning about like the different um, types of pedagogy, ways that you can teach. There's more than one way to do a test mm -hmm. or an assessment, but how do you build a good lecture? Yeah. How do you build a good test question? Mm -hmm. Things like that. So um, I did a lot of like some level of training, if you will. And when the opportunity came for jobs, one of my former classmates um, who worked at Tech at the time um, basically recruited me and said, hey, we have this open college position. You should totally apply for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I met with uh, my colleague, Michael Cruz Penn, the other anatomic pathologist, um, before I applied, we chatted. I was like, you know, this kind of sounds like a pretty good gig. Sounds like a good deal. Like, sure, I'll apply, right? Worst comes to where if they say no, I, I know I can get a job in, in industry or tox pathology. Yeah. So like, I knew I would find a job one way or another. Um, but lo and behold, this job came around, the interview went great. And I really felt that the community that tech builds the core values they pride themselves on and how they build their community around those core values mm -hmm. really struck me because it's so different than the atmosphere and environment you're going to see in a lot of other academic mm -hmm. institutions. The collegiality is just phenomenal. Yeah. I feel at tech um, here at tech. So I was offered the position and literally said yes 
when do I start? <laughs> Lo and behold, um, about a few weeks later, um, it was literally six weeks from when I interviewed to when I started. So not a whole ton of time. Um, so yeah, found a place to live, moved all the way back down to Texas and started working here. And I will say when I first did, um, my, my very first lab that I taught you guys was histology with cruise pen, um, mm -hmm. the epithelium histology and, that first lab i walked away being like yes this this is what i missed yeah this is what i've been craving mm -hmm. um and that's part of my career up right where you needed to be so to me it was like we made the right decision yeah i'm good you will i'm glad you felt that way i'm glad we were nice enough <laughs> sometimes i feel right. like when we're we're in um ologies down in the west wing and the microscopes come out i feel like some people get like this glazed look over their face yeah and i'm like it's really bright in here, but I really want to take a nap. <laughs> especially, if we, <laughs> especially if we we you know do histology after lunch. Like yes. I much prefer to do it in the morning. We're trying to get them all as much as we can in the mornings. Um, keyword is trying, but yeah. I cannot guarantee. Yeah, the schedule is how the schedule That's is. Fair enough. Fortunately, okay. but we have and, no control here. Well, and I know like not everyone likes to look at a scope. Not everyone likes necropsies or autopsies. I get that. Yeah. I really do. But if I can share some of my knowledge but also just make your time even remotely more enjoyable mm -hmm. in those types of labs and i'll have done you know my duty yeah. and you know what you guys are gonna be very well versed in how to do a necropsy yes. coming out of here yes there is no doubt in my <laughs> mind so what advice would you give so say someone knew they wanted to go like they did their like masters and then went to dvm uh got their dvm and then they decided they wanted to do a phd mm -hmm. Um, like knowing that whole path, like what would your advice be to them? Um, definitely keep your options open um, because you never know what opportunities abound and what's going to come your way. Um, and absolutely, if you find that a career in clinical medicine is not really something you want to do or you're finding it's, it's not what you thought it was going to be, um, absolutely pursue research mm -hmm. um absolutely pursue something that is a little non-traditional i guess if you will mm -hmm. i mean being a pathologist certainly i'm not in a clinic all the time i don't see live patients by the time it hits my table things unfortunately did not go the right way um but that doesn't mean i'm any less of a veterinarian right mm -hmm. um so pursue those opportunities, know that it's going to be a little bit of a tougher road because you will have post DVM like schooling and training you'll have to do either way, but find, find, find a niche mm -hmm. for you. Find your place, find your place. And let me tell you, it is so incredibly worth it. And in the end, like I told you guys, you know, that seminar a couple of weeks ago, it's all about perspective, right? Um, you find what you do and you make it, you make it, your own. Mm -hmm. I may not be a live animal surgeon anymore, but I certainly still maintain my surgery skills in the sense of mm -hmm. I'm still doing a surgery in a way. I still try to be very precise when I cut. I still try to avoid hitting arteries because it does make a bit of a mess. However, my blood pressure does not go up when I do hit an artery. Yeah. It is okay for me now. And I'm, I'm okay with that, <laughs> but it's all about perspective. It's, and you got to take the, your career in vet men and you make it what you want it to mm -hmm. be. And if that means research, then go for it. Don't, don't tell yourself, no, it's not, it's, it's not really a veterinarian's job or it's not traditional. It doesn't matter. If it's something you find interesting, 
go for it. Mm-hmm. Don't let the constraints of what a stereotypical veterinarian looks like hold you back. I am not your stereotypical veterinarian, but I am still a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. I'm still teaching at a veterinary school and I'm training students to become veterinarians. And that is how I make it. And so in the end, it's all about perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for people going into veterinary school? Like, say they do just want to, you know, just do a DVM. Like people like lowly me who does only wants the DVM <laughs> after their name and not the whole alphabet. Um, you know, going through vet school since, you know, it hasn't been super long time since you graduated mm-hmm. vet school. Um, do you have any advice for them? Hmm. Probably my biggest advice is to find find your people within vet school. Obviously, if veterinary medicine is what you want to do, be very aware that it is not a very glamorous career that a lot of, I think, uh, people make it out to be. Yes, it is a tough career. Make sure you understand what you're getting into. But once you're in veterinary school, find your people. Find your support group. Find the people that are going to be not just your colleagues, but your friends, your lifelong friends. Um, I'm still in a group chat with several of my classmates, and we've been chatting since the day we graduated. Mm-hmm. And I still have many reunions with some of my classmates. We're going down to New Braunfels this year in a couple oh, of weeks. Fun. Um, so we've been doing it every year since we graduated. And But these are the people that I know if I need something, I can call on them. If I've got a question clinically, some one of them's got an answer. Like, hey, you know what? That's a good question. Let me look, at Vin, let me look it up on Vin for you, or let me try to find this answer for you. Um, but there are also people where I went, if I'm saying like, hey guys, I'm really struggling, like, can I just, I need like some positive vibes going my way. They're there for you. Mm-hmm. Because vet school is not something you can do alone. It does take a village to raise a veterinarian, a good veterinarian in my opinion, and you need to find your people. So finding your group of friends, even if you all do very different things, mm-hmm. like half my friends are small animal GPs. Um, I think actually of my friend group, I'm one of the only ones that's done a specialty but um doesn't matter we all were in different parts of texas some are even outside of texas and again it doesn't matter but they are still people i know i can rely Mm -hmm. on and they will be there for me and i will be there for them so you have to find people that are like your tribe effectively yeah because in the end you are worth you and those are the people are going to help you get through vet school Mm -hmm. together you're like you are like war buddies basically Mm -hmm. Um, and those friendships will get very tight and very close. But if it weren't for these people, I honestly would not have survived. And that same true will hold true if you do decide to pursue a post-DVM mm-hmm. like an internship or a residency. Yeah, especially yeah no matter residency. what direction you go, your friends yes. are going to push you to go do everything. Yeah. Like what with my group of friends, we've actually, so a lot of, we haven't seen each other since my wedding at the beginning of June. Mm-hmm. So it's been almost a month now yeah. since I've seen them. And, um, you know, they're all like one's in Kansas, one's in like East Texas, one's in West Texas. So yeah. we're all kind of all over the place and we're all doing very different things. But like every day at the end of every day, like we'll text and be like, I did this today. I saw this today. Mm-hmm. And um, like we'll send pictures and videos and it's super cool. And um, so like you get to learn through your friends too. So like, I feel oh, like yeah. I'm living vicariously through my friends on their internships from like what they send me. Yeah. Um, and like everyone is super pumped when like you get to do a surgery, you get to do like mm-hmm. a castration, you get to like um, pass a nasogastric tube, like all of that that we've done for the first time. Um, like it, it's super, super fun. 
to be able to support your friends that way. Oh, it really is. Like we, we, my groups, like we support each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how you're going to make it in this mm-hmm. field. This is a very tough, mentally challenging field that will basically push you. It's going to push you to your, your limits sometimes, but having those people there in your corner and as cheerleaders behind mm-hmm. you, like, and you know that they're there mm-hmm. cheering you on the entire time. Absolutely. And if it weren't for two of my resident mates, honest in all honesty, during my residency, I would not have finished. Mm-hmm. And so they are one of like the few reasons mm-hmm. why I was able to finish that residency and get through the PhD. And we support each other the entire way. Yeah. So find your tribe, find your tribe within, within school and any time anywhere yeah. beyond that. And it's going to be necessary. It's the, the best advice I think anyone could give. Um, okay, so moving on to win for the week. Win for the week. I'm just going to go with the most obvious one, um, which is uh, I'm still alive after my surgery. Mm-hmm. So uh, about two weeks ago, I had a um, cholecystectomy, meaning that my gallbladder was evicted because he was angry, really pissed off, and needed to go. And... I, two weeks later, I'm up, I'm walking, um, looking to probably go back to work part-time starting next week. So win of the week is I'm recovering from surgery, doing well, and cheers to a GI tract that has restarted. Yes. And a liver function better. like a horse liver. Being able to actually walk around and move. Yes. And uh, cheers to my liver functioning like a horse liver. Yes. Now. Yes. Um, I was trying to think of what my win for the week was uh, like has been. And, you know, I've done a lot of different things. I've gone with Clint to go palpate some cows. I got mm-hmm. to um, feel some like free Martins. Nice. Uh, so that was cool. Yeah. Um, we, there were go. two. There were two that um, I was able to palpate. So that was new and different. Um, and then, you know, I, I'm going to lump in all my friends win for the weeks too, because like, I feel like we've done some some really cool stuff, and so like Sydney, Megan, Caitlin, and Bailey all have done some really cool things with mm-hmm. mainly large animal um, horses and and cows, but um, they've been killing it. Um, and so I'm just super proud of my friends and want to give them a little bit of a shout out because absolutely they've been working their butts off, and so um, and you know we get to do some cool things together, so. And your cows are here for your research. My cows are here for the research, which is good. Um, We should go out to New Mexico here in a little bit. So um, I'm excited for that. Yep. Good. Um, So listeners, this wraps up our our episode. If you want to reach out to Dr. Myers, um, you can reach us at our email at dvmloadingpodcast at gmail.com. You can always look on our Instagram. Look for her glow in the dark plate. Um, I will, I will put that on our Instagram. I will send that to you. <laughs> um, Instagram is DVM underscore loading underscore. Um, or you can drop a comment in the comment box below. Uh, and if you could always give us a five-star rating, that would be fantastic. Um, so thank y'all and have a good rest of your day. Thanks everyone. Have a good one.